0: Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here at JMM. I don't usually make that big a deal of this stuff, Malcolm, but boy, over the last few days I've been bombarded. One guy even said he has to tune out the weekly update, that he can't take some of the news items we're discussing.
1: You know, there are people who can't face reality, and that's their choice, but they pay a price. And... What we talk about are not negative stories. It's what's happening. And people who listen, and I hear all the time from people who do, uh, the only people who can end up being optimists are people who are realists, mm. people who face life as it is. It's what Dora teaches us in virtually every week's Parsha. This is not something you can exempt yourself from. And if you you choose to opt out, which is their choice, then your children or grandchildren will
0: pay the price. There you go. Whoever thought that we'd actually get into the positive messages quickly. Amazing. I love it. Very important words. Uh, Malcolm, a lot of news this week. Siding with the White House in a foreign policy power struggle with Congress, the Supreme Court ruled Monday that Americans born in the disputed city of Yerushalayim, I love how AP writes that, in the disputed city of Yerushalayim cannot list Israel as their birthplace, on passports, this goes back to 2002. Congress went ahead and approved the passport law, and eventually, all this with the zivotofsky family, as you and I have discussed on the air before, gets to the Supreme Court. The decision is a six-three decision. Your reaction?
1: Look, the decision was not a, a decision about Jerusalem. It was a decision by in, in the part of the court. It was a decision about presidential prerogative and foreign policy formulation, and. It, it ruled in favor of uh, the president's refusal to allow to to order that Israel be put on passports and other official documents, uh, as was called for by the law that was initially passed by Congress in an effort that we led in 2002. And if you remember Senator Moynihan and others, right. we had a huge event at uh, on Capitol Hill. Um, but the, the the essence of this is is uh as i said a legalistic issue it's true it is also true that uh, president bush did not implement this law nor did anyone else before so that this is uh, really a narrow ruling people interpreted interpolated it and uh, as if it is and and it is of concern to us that people living tens of thousands of americans who born in Jerusalem or live in Jerusalem can't have uh, Jerusalem-Israel in their passports. It's it's unique in the world. Uh, they claim that there are other disputed areas, but I think even in uh, in those areas people get to choose or, or can opt out of a, a choice. Uh, so I, I think that on the Jerusalem issue we obviously are going to continue to fight for the rights of, of the Zivotovskis and everybody else who, who is impacted on it, but but most importantly is to get the recognition of Jerusalem, official recognition. It could apply just to West Jerusalem, so it w- right. which is not disputed. So the, the basis for it is the one which I think we can further contest.
0: The, um, went, once Congress passed that law, so it, it was up to the president to what? To approve it, to implement it, to, to call implement it. To implement it. And uh, when the Supreme Court goes ahead and makes this decision, I understand you you know you just described how it was viewed you know Congress versus the White House but is that essentially what they were doing they had to make a decision if in fact this foreign policy issue you know is going to be exclusively a White House issue, you know, Commander-in-Chief, they have to make this type of decision, or on the other side, you know, Congress... That's exactly what it was. That was exactly what it is. And is there anything...
1: And, and if you looked at the, the, uh, the Chief Justice, uh, John Roberts, issued a, a dissenting point of view, which is very strong, saying that, that, that essentially putting the whole thing down, but he was in the minority of the, of the three.
0: Is there any other, I mean, I'm, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I'm just so curious, is there, are, are there other instances you've seen, not involving Israel obviously, but foreign policy out of Washington, where, where there, there has to be I don't necessarily the Supreme Court, but there has to be a decision whether the White House or Congress is going to be the final decisor of, you know, what type of relationship we have with what country or how we're going to proceed, you know, officially with a country. Is there anything that even remotely. Uh, yes. What was it?
1: There are, are many issues that come up. It's why Congress builds in presidential waivers to, as, uh, as uh, an acknowledgement of that. So that many of the laws that are passed, people don't know, the president has waiver, like moving the embassy to Jerusalem, and every six months he waives it. Um, the the uh, There are many other things, including sanctions.
0: And there are examples from other countries, not just dealing with Israel. Right. Okay. So this is not, it was not an outrageous approach by the majority of the Supreme Court.
1: No, it was not an outrageous right. approach it It was of concern to us because of how it'll be interpreted and uh, and it seemed to be an injustice to the people who rightfully should be able to designate the state the country in which they were born right. if they opt to if people opt not to do so then they could they don't have to
0: you, you know who's you know who's um who's proving to be a really good symbolic leader. And maybe that's not even a strong enough term. He deserves stronger than that. The president of Israel declared, in light of this, in light of this decision by the Supreme Court, "I was born in Jerusalem and I am an Israeli." And I know that you know it may not be that significant and not that newsworthy. But you always talk how is tell us how symbolism is so important, and to have a leader of Israel get up and react that way, I think, is really nice. Well,
1: I think he's done this in regard to many issues. that yeah. he has been an independent voice. Um, I think it's not politicized, although it's often political issues, but he he's trying to use his presidency, the, the seat, to address key issues and even taking on sometimes controversial issues. Uh, and this was uh, this, this declaration is, by the way, one that I've heard from him for decades. Right. He is from a, an old Jerusalem family, one of the most prominent uh, families, the Rivlins, who have been there, I don't know, 150 years or more. And um, this is something that he has
0: proudly proclaimed for a long time. That's correct. And our very own Matis Weingast is related to him and is part of that Rivlin family. And by the way, I can't think of it, of course, right now, but there was another example either last week or the week before in the weekly update where, again, symbolically he came out with a statement that was very poignant and really important for the time. Uh, I see there's an orange update compared to seven days ago. It seems there's been some type of reconciliation between the CEO of the Orange company and the leadership of Israel, including the prime minister.
1: The love affair.
0: Yeah, it's amazing.
1: The Orange CEO came to Israel for two days. He met uh, with the prime minister uh, today, and he has said that he is that Orange is investing in Israel and he loves Israel. He wants to be in Israel truth is that before he, he did invest a lot in Israeli high-tech. I think that the and the nature of the relationship of the Orange Company was really with partner. It was a, a business relationship where the service, they, they bought the right to the name, the Israeli company bought the right to the name, and right. other things are involved in it. But the, I think that the reversal is very important, especially for a lot of BDS people or others who may have been contemplating you know, jumping into this uh, fray and we see more companies or more people joining the BDS campaign. Uh, This was a message. It it is not again the economic impact uh, of BDS that motivates the reaction. Uh, The the economic impact is probably minimal. It affects some people, you know, the SodaStream controversy, others that have been affected, but it could affect much more, especially with the moves to label products and to insist that uh, things coming out of uh, out of the West Bank, be labeled as such, uh, which would mean that that they'd be easier to boycott and uh, action to, against them taken. So the the message and the victory for those who don't want to have negotiations, but who'd rather enforce the nego- uh, uh, settlement, who want to push Israel to the brink, and many of them want to push it over the brink,
0: yeah.
1: um, that's why the, these things are of so significance, and the setback to them by the President, the Prime Minister, Foreign Minister of France coming out so strongly
0: against uh, the boycott. Leaders of major historic countries on this globe are reacting the way they are. And the reason I say it like that on this Arab Shabbos Parsha Shlach, again, we know how easy it was in Jewish history over 2,000 years for people to slap a sign on someone's store, a call for boycott of Jews, and they'd have no problem getting the cooperation of everybody in town and possibly the entire world to cooperate. And, and we, are, we, we don't realize what we're living through here. And sometimes we take it for granted. We have a state of Israel where the CEO of this company is coming to the prime minister of Israel to make sure that the relationship is smoothed over, to make sure everything's okay. I, I don't think we sometimes realize what type of era we're in
1: and that South Carolina was the first state to pass legislation to thwart BDS, economic uh, disinvestment. We have 18 more states considering it. Illinois legislature already passed it uh, by overwhelming, uh, even unanimously, and uh, Indiana, others. Uh, New York State has anti-boycott legislation, but we are hoping that it will be upgraded on the BDS, to, uh, taking into account more of the BDS issues, um, so that, that those uh Issue that the issue itself is beginning to gain greater recognition about its seriousness. Because again, some of your listeners will say it's bad news. (laughs) If you say it's bad news and ignore it, and you can't fight it, if you recognize it and you deal with it and you root it out before it becomes so uh, so overwhelming that you otherwise can't deal with it, then you know you've lost the case. And here you see exactly an example of why you have to confront the issues
0: and why you have to know them. And the overwhelming numbers, the number of countries, the number of companies that want to be on the other side of this BDS issue, the anti Israel side. And yet we have this incredible gift and and this amazing, you know, state of Israel that gives us the opportunity to to counter all of this and to and to show the strength of the Jewish people and and the state of Israel. And it was not long ago when it was completely the opposite.
1: And and you have to, just to, to those who are skeptical, take take a look at how these same people who pushed the BDS movement have never pushed a, a boycott movement of Syria where 300,000 people supposedly have been killed, according to reports this week. They don't call for it against Iran with all the killings of and already the gaze of everything under the sun and their support for violence and terrorism globally and and in the region you never hear anybody calling for boycotts of those of those countries or those uh, entities so it's so quite true. ridiculous you know that it's targeting israel for a very obvious Reasons.
0: And a shout-out to Art Garfunkel, That's Malcolm.
1: Associated with anti-Semitism are making a big mistake.
0: That's right. Well, let's hope it continues that way, that they, that they view it as a big mistake. Shout-out to Art Garfunkel, another artist who played Israel this week. And a shout-out to Google. Did you see the Google CEO visited Israel this week? Yes, he did. How amazing is it? This, what is what is that? the large, Well, maybe Apple is. I don't know who's the largest company in the world now, but can you imagine... CEO, largest company in the world, biggest tech company, one of the most important, uh, uh, one of the most important operations in the entire globe, visiting Israel, meeting with the prime minister, and at the same time, British filmmakers calling for a boycott of the Israeli film festival and demanding that uh, they cancel the Israeli film festival. So
1: well, that is part of the problem. Is that this starts as we identified many years ago uh, amongst. Uh, in in, Europe, in Great Britain, and even more so in the United and even so in the United States, amongst the intellectual classes, why we see it much more on campuses, uh, with faculty groups, with uh, some church groups, it starts at the top and then trickles down. Whereas in France, it's the bottom up, and it's, it's so the net outcome might be the same, but it's the differentiation that amongst in, in Britain. It started amongst the creative classes and others uh, years ago. Yeah. It continues, and you see it in academic decisions, and uh, thank God we see counter-voices too, but somebody has taken the initiative to, to get these people to, to organize and then to come out publicly.
0: There's a whole counter-boycott uh, counter movement at this point, uh, which, thank, which, thank God, is growing. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM Dial Broadcasting Live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Malcolm Holmline is with us, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents, Major American Jewish Organizations. Guy comes over to me Monday night, says, did you hear Erdogan lost? I said, I don't think Erdogan lost. Who's right, Malcolm? Uh, Erdogan
1: uh, suffered a, de- a loss, not a defeat. He, he did not lose the election in the sense that he still retained the largest block, but he fell far short of what he wanted, maybe even 100-plus seats from what he ultimately wanted. He wants to be able to have... a a singular majority for his party, AKP, why? Because he wants to change the constitution, institute a presidential system with him, uh, with all the powers vested in the president, so that he could start implementing major changes, including Turkey to more of Islamist state. Uh, this was a big blow to those aspirations, and the key was that the, in, in order to be in the Turkish parliament, you have to get 10% of the vote, The Kurds always fell shy of that. This time they got 10.1, which means, which which meant that those votes were not lost or given to to the other parties. And as the majority party, he would get the lion's share of it. Uh, it, It's like in Israel, there is a a threshold, and then if you don't meet that threshold, those votes are essentially lost or divided amongst the other parties in a proportionate manner to the vote that they got. So Turkey. uh, He has not yet declared a new government or taken the steps following the election.
0: But but what's the lesson here? That that there are a lot of people against the radicalization of Turkey? I mean, is that the lesson here? It
1: it is against him, against the the harsh measures that he has implemented about the economic conditions, uh, that he hasn't lived up to the promises he's made. Uh, A lot of people are interpreting it different ways. We'll have to find out what... it, it means ultimately, but it, for now, I think it's a very positive move for, for what we hope will be a change. The prime minister, the Toulouse, stepped down. That may be just a technical move, you know, so he'll be asked to form the next government.
0: Does this affect I the, at
1: all that that's true because he and, and Erdogan didn't get along that well?
0: Does this affect the possibility of Israel having a better relationship with Turkey, or because he's still in power, that likely will not change? hell it's too early to
1: know, uh, although I know that Turkish officials warned the Hamas leaders based in Turkey to tone down the violence because they said they were getting blamed and they didn't want it. But already they uh, some people and in, in leaders in uh, um, who follow Erdogan have said that this was the, the Jewish lobby and that you know the Jews were responsible for the defeat <laughs> and that the economic lobby, which is controlled by the Jewish lobby, did this. I mean, we, we shouldn't laugh at it because in Turkey it has it has a lot of adherence and, you know, it becomes the automatic go-to uh,
0: refrain. I know, but boy, did they give us a lot of credit. Yeah, no cash, a lot of credit. Right? <laughs> it's unbelievable. I mean, you know, controlling everything, including the Turkish parliamentary elections. Uh, the G7 meeting this week uh, focused on ISIS and... Um, it, it, was there any type of report or consensus among the countries that they're actually making progress? Was there any, you know, in, in a sense, was there any positive news that came out of that meeting in regard to ISIS?
1: Look, ISIS continues to expand. There the wasn't a particular plan, and there is no real strategy. And as President Obama said there, they, they don't have a strategy yet for dealing with uh, ISIS. We, we just learned that in uh, Kurdish, uh, the Kurdish part of Iraq and the Kurdistan there, They've recruited 500 young people uh, to to join the, them, in, and uh, they are gaining more and more control over the mosques in areas of Iraq and uh, uh, putting in Salafist uh, uh, imams. The the uh, ISIS has developed new technologies where they are, are doing a thing called tunnel bombs, which they learned from Hamas to dig the tunnels like Hamas, and you know the network that they and Hezbollah have. It has in uh, southern uh, Lebanon and Hamas has in Gaza. So they build this network of tunnels, and they place a huge bomb inside the tunnel. They're called tunnel bombs, and then they blow up the target from underneath. And when you blow it from underneath and you explode the foundation, the whole thing collapses. Mm -hmm. And this can be targeted, and they have the escape route. Uh, ready built in with the, uh, with the tunnels. And we know that they're building this kind of a network in Iraq and, and have the, had it already in, in Syria.
0: The United States is acknowledging essentially because the president is sending more troops to certain areas that they, that there's got, there has to be some type of escalated, I don't know what we call it, ground war or military offensive against ISIS. I mean, are other countries going to cooperate with the United States on this?
1: We don't see anybody really jumping into the fray. Many of them are skeptical about what, what the United States is ready to do or whether there is an effective strategy, a longer-term strategy. We see uh, ISIS uh, fighting Hezbollah right now on the Syrian-Lebanese border. Um, dozens have been killed. The number of people in ISIS is really becoming an interesting subject of debate because given the uh, the number of fronts on which they're fighting, uh, the numbers are believed perhaps to be greater than Uh, had been assumed and that they are continuing to expand their outreach in indonesia countries far beyond uh, the middle east so and and they have the seemingly endless supply of of weapons they also sell oil from the area that they control in uh, in syria and uh, will do so from iraq as well so the the projectory is still unclear, but it, right now it's, I think, still an uphill climb for
0: them. Yeah, that's for sure. Swiss and Austrian authorities are investigating claims of potential espionage during recent nuclear talks between Iran and world powers, including the United States. The investigation started after Russian internet security firm Kaspersky Labs said that it had uncovered a sophisticated cyber espionage weapon in use around the world, and specifically targeting targeting hotels that hosted the nuclear talks. So essentially, this is a this is a, um, a, a they're accusing Iran of cyber attacks, right? I mean, in this case, it happens to be hotels wherever it's going. But that's that's essentially what they're accusing Iran of doing, right?
1: They're accusing Israel of doing
0: it. Oh, this is Israel?
1: Yeah, they they accused Israel of, uh, of bugging the hotel and creating some sort of a, a new kind of virus to uh, to that that penetrated and it was why Israel knew what was going on. Israel has denied it. many others now have come out denying it some say it doesn't even exist that this was a pure rumor so we don't know if this is science fiction or there's anything really here
0: Hmm. all right i'll move on to a different topic and i apologize (laughs) and i apologize for that uh the president of the united states hang on a second uh here we go. President of the United States it says it's early days for the White House's latest charm offensive among American Jews but a new poll suggests that the wooing effort is having little effect. The poll published by J Street, a liberal pro-Israel group that generally backs Obama and his Middle East policy, shows Obama stuck in the same mid-50s approval ratings he was registering in April when U.S.-Israel tensions were prominently in the news. First of all, I didn't know there was a charm offensive right now from the White House toward American Jews. And if, in fact, there is, why does it seem like it's not working?
1: Well, clearly, I don't know if it's a charm offensive. Uh, The president certainly has reached out, not only in the meetings that he's held, but his speech at the synagogue. Um, Others, uh, Tony Blinken's speech this week, uh, Kerry was supposed to give it, many others. But the president himself, giving the interview to Israeli television, to Jeffrey Goldberg, addressing the issues, uh, a lot of it wasn't charm. A lot of it was still, you know, criticism of Netanyahu and, and something, I think, that even those who I may mean, that support Netanyahu are are offended by or, or were concerned by. Um, as some were uh, relieved by his comments, and, and he made many reassuring comments to, to the audience at that synagogue, and it was received with a lot of applause. But I think that the people see the broader issues, Iran concerns them very much, and they see the tendency on Iran in not seeing a clear hard-line policy and, and the... Um, and the, and the president made comments in, in the interviews like the, the, there's no military uh, option, really, to stop Iran. Well, a lot of people are concerned when they hear, hear that, when we don't see the kind of uh, tough line that, that many people want on, the, on these critical issues, which we see, obviously, as life-and-death issues. We see the Iranians uh, saying, you're not going to be able to inspect this. You're not going to be able to go to military sites. You're not going to interview our scientists, that this uh, deal is not forever and then they take it out sometimes inappropriately, as with the case of uh, Jack Lew this week at the uh, Jerusalem Post conference. But it was, he, when he said that the Iranians are living up to their commitments, people are skeptical about it and, and respond as such. The uh, so the president has reached out. I think the numbers. Uh, I'm suspect of the numbers because it's a J Street poll, and the polls, you know, always serve the purpose of. The people who pay for it or the way the questions are asked. And if you look at the questions on Iran that it asks, well, it got a, a response about how many people support the president, but it, the, the conditions that they say uh, are not what uh, obtains now, for instance, that there would be thorough inspections and, you know, transparency, et cetera. Of course, people will say yes to that. So you have to look at the questions and you have to look at the um, context of uh, in which people responded. That's one. Two, how big a sample and who did they go and ask? Three. Even with that, it, they said they came down with a number that was still 10 points higher than the general American populace's support uh, for the president. I, I don't know if this is true, if it's not true. Uh, I think that the uh, White House will certainly pay attention to uh, to these poll numbers. But at some point, the president, and, and at this point, it seems the president just is pursuing the policies uh, that he believes in. He's trying to explain it. He's trying to um, I think diffuse some of the anger that is clearly being manifest in the parts of the Jewish community.
0: What was behind the booing of Jack Lew? Was it just a very anti-Obama crowd?
1: I think largely no matter what he would have said, uh, but and, and because people don't acknowledge the fact that the Treasury Department actually has been leading the fight on sanctions for a long time against Iran and the Treasury Department uh, led the effort here and around the, the world on that issue. But as I said, when he made mention, as I heard, I wasn't there, uh, about Iran being in compliance. Something, by the way, that uh, Tony Blinken, the Under Secretary of state, said at another Jewish gathering uh, this week, uh, it evoked a response, and I think people were really loaded for bear, and this was their chance to get at the administration by uh, hitting uh, Jack Lew, who is an observant Jew and certainly committed uh, on the issues. Um but he should have anticipated, uh, you know, what the response would be. It's not the first time at these Jerusalem post conferences that people get booed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're not speaking from personal experience.
1: No, actually, Alan Dershowitz got booed, and I was there then. And I was very, uh, I was really taken aback by it. But uh, you know, it's a very, let's say, lively and audience.
0: Well, on what occasion
1: were it you... was inappropriate? Uh, I must say that that's not the way you do it. You ask questions, you you can challenge him, but you don't boo speaker comes to as your guest
0: what was your worst booing experience
1: probably on this show
0: nah come on where was your work you must have been in debate with somebody where the crowd came out for the other guy it must have been but some college campus somewhere some big Had
1: that on you know many times on well, not many times very few times actually that i can remember i haven't had it in a long time that i remember being actually booed hmm. but um you know, if you feel that it's a circumstance where there's no way to win and you can't, the people are not going to be educated, then you just don't go.
0: Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, more rockets from Gaza, more sirens in southern Israel. Is that what happened this week?
1: More rockets. I think it's altogether seven now. There was one yesterday that was fired towards Ashkelon, and the sirens went off there. Uh, this is uh, likely the IS group, IS in Jerusalem, uh, that is contending with uh, Hamas in Gaza and with yeah, Hamas in Gaza, and is an irritant to them. They've been making demands on, on them. This is part of their pressure campaign because they know that Hamas doesn't want it. And Hamas has tried to arrest uh, uh, some of the people. And as I said before, you know, Hezbollah is fighting IS on the Syrian-Lebanese border. They're fighting them uh, in Gaza. I think that it's a relatively small group at this point, but not to be dismissed at all. The... Um, uh, the, uh, there have been firefights between Hamas and IS uh, in in the areas, and the um, uh, you know they they try to get closer and closer to the uh, border with Israel. They're they complaining that uh, that Hamas reached deals with Israel and that they didn't really fight enough against Israel, and uh, this is. Uh, you know, a matter of concern. And, and you know, there's an interesting sidelight, by the way, about Gaza, when all the criticism, and we saw it this week again with the attempt to, um, to, to isolate and criticize and demonize what Israel does at the United Nations over the treatment of children. They didn't put them on the shameless, but they did issue a report, which is just such a total distortion and uh, you saw how many militaries have visited Israel since the war in Gaza. And, and this week, several of them came out and said Israel goes too far in, in containing and restricting their military because it's going to affect them and that people are going to use those same standards to demand that in every conflict situation. You know that, that uh, Israel sends in 800 trucks a day now into Gaza. It's going to get up to 1,000. That's up from, originally it was about 500. A million tons of building materials have gone to Gaza. There are uh, 5,000 people who have permits to come back and forth to trade in Israel and the West Bank, business people. It's it's quite remarkable that nobody talks about the facts. You know, 83,000 families got all the building materials to rebuild their homes. The problem is they sell it on the black market to Hamas, which uses it in the tunnels, or Hamas just steals it and uses it. You've seen all the complaints about water. Israel under the uh, Oslo Accords is obligated I think to give uh, 30 million cubic meters of water uh, a year to to um, the West Bank. They gave this year 57 million cubic meters of water. They also supply Jordan with water and that's in addition to doubling the water to to Gaza from 5 million cubic meters to 10. Nobody will say this it's done quietly, Israel, and
0: those deliveries just continue. Like they're not, they don't make it Absolutely. difficult. They don't make it difficult on the recipients.
1: That's right. It's it's uh, it continues, but the problem is they abuse it. They abuse the water systems, especially in the West Bank, where the and the aquifers get contaminated because they dump garbage or they do illegal hookups, and a lot of water is wasted. Uh, Israel recycles 86 percent of its water, highest in the world. And you saw all of the positive stories about Israel's um, uh, treatment of water and the fact that it became self-sufficient this year in water, uh, which was a huge story and and is a huge story because now many other countries are asking Israel to come in, including, I think, they went to California to try and give them some advice on the the terrible drought uh, that the people there have. So uh, that story is one that never gets told, and the fact that Israel shares this technology and helps in Africa and other places, uh, countries to, to address the, their water uh,
0: deprivation. Uh, and in Africa as well, right. I, we, I had the chance, I, I don't remember his name, I'm sure you know who it is, his name escapes me, but he was a candidate for president of Israel at one time, And I had the opportunity to interview him a couple of weeks ago and uh, the work that you described in California you spoke about. But Africa, it's unbelievable the progress they are making and how they are teaching and 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 guiding countries to become self-sufficient when it comes to water and when it comes to solar energy. It's just unbelievable. It's true. All right, a message for Parsha Schlach. I mentioned that Rabbi Fast can't join us today. So, Malcolm, you're the man who to this morning can give us an inspiring word as we enter this very interesting Shabbos where we always talk on the Friday before Parshish Shlach about Aliyah, the importance of Israel. What could you tell us?
1: That Israel is very important. And had, the, the truth is it's a great thing to, to note that the difference between the ten and the two Meraglim uh, scouts, because you shouldn't say spies, the scouts, Right went to Israel to check out the land it was one word difference they both described objectively the same circumstance and situation the difference was but one word and on that one word the whole course of Jewish history hinged so people have to think about when we talk about Israel every word counts every word matters and that the the, uh, the attitude and the way we approach it you know the optimist versus the pessimist as we talked about before you know the, the they the yohua know, and Kalev didn't contradict the facts that were presented uh, by the majority in this case but they what they did in the in their dissent was to refute the un, the unhealthy attitude as to the ability of the people to go into the land and to win mm-hmm. they both said it's exceedingly good the cities are large but and then he said they're, they said they're lachmenu, right. they, they, meaning that their strength is gone. And others say it's our bread, meaning that we will swallow them up as one swallows bread. That's what Rashi uh, teaches. So it's a question of the attitude that if you hear the news that we discuss and you, you face the challenges, you can say, look, there are nakim, there, these are overwhelming giants and these are terrible things that we can't confront it. Had that been the, the, the conclusion that everybody drew... We would never have had Israel. We would never. Have, we would probably not exist today. And there's an interesting thing that I told at a big Christian conference. I asked them, "How many people know? can Name the ten who came back with a negative report." You know, <laughs> Five thousand people there, and this is on YouTube. You can see it some places. Yeah. Um, there was dead silence.
0: Of course.
1: When I said to them, "Name the two who came back with a positive report." 5,000 people stood in their chairs yelling, <laughs> jumping, yelling Joshua and Caleb, Joshua and Caleb Joshua and Caleb <laughs> and I Said that's the lesson of history that those who stand with Israel are remembered forever those who speak against it are written off the
0: history Ah, phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal great message, thank you so much Something I learned from the late Shemul Cohen fantastic absolutely fantastic uh, Malcolm of Wonderful Shabbos will speak please okay. God next week Malcolm Holline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Ah, that was great. Those who stand with Israel, they'll be remembered.